Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Our gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 15. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found.
Welcome to my table. You can only see a little of it on the screen, but I am sitting at my dining table, which is also my work table and Kai's school table, sometimes a science table and a craft table and a meeting table. For the next several weeks, we will hear stories from scripture that include coming to the table. And there are a lot of those in the Bible. Tables are a pretty important part of daily life. And in the cultural context of scripture, coming to a table of one kind or another plays an important part in understanding who people are and who they are in relationship with. Many of us have cherished memories of time with family and friends that center on coming to the table for a meal, for celebration, even if that table is in a restaurant or someone else's home. And while we may not be able to gather around a table as much during these socially distant times as we would like to, the people who we miss sitting down for a meal with are as important as ever. In the scripture passage we heard today, Jesus tells a parable in which the invitation to come celebrate at the table is even more important than the actual meal that happens there. It's important to know the context in which Jesus tells this parable. It's in Luke chapter 15. And at the beginning of the chapter, some Pharisees and scribes, the religious legal experts, are grumbling because Jesus is sitting and eating with tax collectors and sinners. And while this may sound a bit cliche to our modern ears, Jesus' willingness to cross boundaries set by religious law to publicly break long-held understandings and expectations is not just fodder for idle gossip. It is dangerous to the leaders who maintain the status quo and uphold what they understand as scriptural law. The scribes and Pharisees' role in the community is to teach and uphold law and order, after all. And Jesus is bringing chaos, teaching and eating with whoever comes to listen to him without concern for their status or for how it impacts his. So Jesus tells three parables, ending with the parable of the prodigal son. You are probably familiar with it. We hear it a lot in church. A man has two sons. The younger one asks for his inheritance early while his father is still alive and the father gives it to him. The son takes the money and travels to another country and spends all of his money on dissolute living and then is left with nothing when a famine hits the area. He begs for work and ends up taking care of pigs, which still doesn't afford him real food. So he decides to go back home and beg his father to let him work as a hired hand. See, when he took his inheritance early, he lost his status as a son in the family and he can expect that no one will really want to speak to him back at home. Still, he heads back and he prepares his speech on the way. I can imagine him repeating it over and over again in his head, making sure he gets every word right so that he can express his absolute humility and convince his father to save his life, despite the fact that his father no longer owes him anything. When he gets close to home, his father sees him and comes running out to greet him and hugs him. 
The son can't even get through his perfectly prepared speech before his father has forgiven him, brushed off what the son is saying, and called for workers to get the finest of everything for his son who was lost and now is found. And he throws a feast where everyone can celebrate around the table together. If we stop here in the story, I can imagine this being a video clip making the rounds on Facebook with a title like, What happens when a wayward son returns home to beg for his father's forgiveness? It's heartwarming. And that may be one of the reasons we hear this parable so often and even see it in other cultural stories. This is a parable though. And Jesus' parables are not just sweet stories that could go viral on Facebook. Parables are stories that turn our expectations upside down and teach us something about God in the process. The father in this parable has certainly turned expectations upside down. There are customs and familial expectations that come into play in the historical context that explain why the father's response is insanely unusual. But even today, as a parent, I know that if my daughter were to ask to cash in on her inheritance well before my death, and then waste it all, and come back home begging for a job, I'd need at least a few deep breaths and a serious conversation before I threw her a huge welcome back party. But this father, he does not hesitate. The younger son never even gets the chance to beg or apologize. Forgiveness and grace are given before he steps foot on his father's land. And now that the son has returned to accept this forgiveness, the celebration is over the top. When I was younger, I'd heard this story often enough that I assumed prodigal meant lost because the son was lost and then found, like the key parts of the other parables that come before this one in chapter 15. But prodigal actually describes someone who spends lavishly. The son is a prodigal son because when he gets his inheritance early, he goes out and spends it lavishly. We could describe the father as prodigal in this story too, giving lavishly to celebrate his son's return, giving lavishly of his forgiveness, but also of his own wealth. Jesus is teaching us that God is like this father, ready to welcome back the lost without hesitation, offering grace and forgiveness before we know it's there and celebrating lavishly over those who accept it. God has room at the table for every wayward child that wants a seat, regardless of what they've done in their life and what their status in the world is. And God rejoices over each person who sits down at the table. But the story doesn't end at this joyful celebration of the son who has come home because the audience Jesus is telling this parable to is actually those grumbling scribes and Pharisees from the beginning of the chapter. Our parable continues as the older brother comes back from the field and realizes there is a party going on and he has no idea why. A slave explains what happened and the brother refuses to go into his own home and participate. The father comes outside to find the older brother and beg him to come to the party. But the older brother 
goes off on him, complaining that he has worked hard his whole life and done everything he could to support the family and his father, and he's never even been given a goat to roast and eat with his friends. But now that his little brother is back after wasting his inheritance on prostitutes, there's a huge feast and celebration. Most of us can understand a bit of what the older brother is frustrated about and feeling. He has literally come from the fields to find out that his father is having a party and didn't come to include him right away. And he has been the good son, doing what was expected of him, staying home, working hard, making his father's land valuable, contributing to society, and he hasn't been given the rewards he thinks he should have for it. Why should someone who has contributed nothing to the family and seems to have squandered opportunity be given more and be cared for? If we listen carefully, we notice that the older brother has distanced himself from his younger brother so much that he's slipped in an assumption about what his brother has been doing, spending money on prostitutes, without actually knowing that that's true. The earlier part of the parable doesn't go into detail about what the younger brother did when he spent all of his money in that dissolute living, and there's no reason to think that the older brother had secret information already. When we are angry and focused on how we think we've been slighted, it's easy to assume the worst of others. We distance ourselves from them and can even lose sight of their humanity as the older brother seems to be on his way to doing here. He doesn't care about what struggles his younger brother has faced or how his father may have grieved while the younger brother was gone. He can only see his own anger and pain. The older son has drawn a line of division in his family. Yes, the younger son separated himself when he took off early on, but now he's returned and he's seeking some form of connection and reconciliation. He came back not even asking for forgiveness, just for the chance to survive in his new lowly status. The older brother, however, is so caught up in a sense of scarcity and self-righteous anger that he cannot see God's grace. The father hasn't given up on either of his sons. We see an empathy from the father who is not just celebrating with his younger son, but who leaves that celebration to go stand outside with his older son, to connect with him and hear what he has to say. The father responds lovingly to his older son's bitterness and anger and accusations, saying, you are always with me. What's mine is yours and always has been. And this celebration, this feast is mine. And so it's yours too. So come be a part of it. The feast doesn't take away from the older brother. It gives him a chance to enjoy the good things his father has to offer. It gives him a reason to enjoy the spoils of their hard work and he can invite his friends. The grace and forgiveness offered to the younger brother doesn't lessen the love that the father has for the older brother or devalue anything he's done. It simply adds a seat at the table. Our parable ends without Jesus telling us what choice the brother makes. 
We don't know if he's going back to the fields to work or if he's asking for his own cut of inheritance and leaving town or if he's going to join his family and neighbors at the feast. Seems like Jesus leaves us with this uncertainty because the Pharisees and scribes are in the same position as the brother. They have a choice they can make. They came around complaining about Jesus sitting down to eat with sinners and Jesus says, the table is open for everyone. If you wanna sit down, you can join in the feast. The religious leaders knew what scripture said about God's lavish, unending love, love that makes even the rocks cry out. They've heard over and over God saying to them, you are always with me. What's mine is yours and always has been. They have the chance now to choose whether they will join Jesus in the celebration over those outcasts and sinners who have finally found the table of God's grace or if they will disconnect themselves further in judgment. What will it take for the Pharisees to change how they see people? To be willing to sit down at Jesus' table? Expressing genuine empathy for people who we don't think deserve to be where we are is a lot harder than it sounds. Like the older brother who makes assumptions about his younger brother's exploits and proclaims those assumptions as truth to their father in anger, hoping that his brother will now be rejected and cast out, these religious leaders who Jesus is addressing have made judgment calls about the people Jesus is spending time with and decided they are nothing more than sinners. They no longer see the God-given humanity of people, let alone see the possibility for redemption or reconciliation. They are disgusted at the idea of sitting down to eat with such deplorable sinners, offended by their existence in the world. And there are religious laws and customs that give the Pharisees some rationale for this. But Jesus is telling them this grumbling and hatred isn't the only choice available to them. Jesus is telling them that the table is set, the feast is ready, and they can come join the celebration if they want to. A perspective shift for the Pharisees would take recognizing that every time God's active, gracious love finds someone and calls that person back home, invites them to the table, and puts out a feast, it doesn't mean there is less for the rest of us. It actually means there's more. It means there's a new celebration to be a part of. So Jesus leaves the Pharisees and the scribes with the elder son's question of whether to sit and enjoy the table that has been prepared or not. The same question and offer lives on in us today. Where are we going to find ourselves in this story? Will we be the older brother, focusing on what we've done and what we deserve, separating ourselves from people who seem to have squandered their opportunities and don't deserve a seat at our table? Will we focus on what we're missing out on and see the world as a place where grace and care for someone without our status is excessive and lavish and undeserved? Do we see God's love as being limited so that when it is proclaimed that one life matters, it means that other lives don't matter anymore? Or will we hear the party going on, see the table set with opportunities to care for the lives of others and join in the celebration. 
Can we trust that God's love is big enough to encompass us all, big enough to help us develop empathy that recognizes the validity and significance of each and every person welcomed at that table? God has prepared the table and invites us to feast in celebration of everyone who wants to be there. Do you want to join? Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.